We've been on a journey as a church talking about what works. We've been working through a series of what works. So I hope it's been helpful. Uh, more than that, I hope it's worked. And uh, some of these things, it's our prayer that every sermon we preach actually works. Uh, we've just really titled these runs around the fact. We're looking at some of the principles uh, that, that, that God lays out in Scripture for our life, that if we had applied them, uh, even though uh, they were written uh, over 2,000 years ago, inspired by God, that still here in 2022, God's plans work, God's Word works, and, and what God has in store for us works. And one thing I've come to realize about my relationship with God is, is really your relationship with God is forever developing. It's forever growing. My, my faith develops. My, my life develops. My ability to forgive develops in God. My, my, my prayer life develops. The, th- the maturity of my prayer life develops. The, the things in God, as, as we get on, of, of knowing God, well, known about God, at least since I was at a young age growing up uh, in a Christian household with a mother that loved Jesus, I would say sometimes a little bit too much. Uh, I had one of those mums. Uh, but... Uh, but growing up, my, my, even the things I've prayed for and believed for have developed. As a kid, it was always, God, please give me a PlayStation. And some of you are still praying that prayer each night, tonight, still holding on for hope. But the things I've, I've hoped for have developed. I remember one night as a kid, having, ha- having I just got this memory of having this prayer. My, my older brother uh, had annoyed me that day, and he was bigger than me and stronger than me. And I remember praying to God, God, I really need you to help me get back at my brother. He's strong than me, so can you give me strength to get them? Uh, but, but as I've grown, I've matured, I've developed, I've grown in my faith, we, at least I hope so. Uh, that, is, that is the goal. But as we go through life, thing, things develop. The danger in your Christianity, though, is when you get to a point where life becomes livable. Uh, it's, not, it's not the ideal, but you're happy. And uh, at the moment, we're in the middle of renovating our home, and there's a dangerous point in any house renovation. And the danger point is when the house is livable but not finished. And you get to a point where you're like, oh, no, this, this, this is adequate. It, it works. It, it has everything I need. It's just, it's just not finished yet. Uh, but you can get to a point where you can get, where, where you can get capped in a renovation job uh, because you're like, well, well, it's good enough for, for what I, I want to do right now. And I've got so much other things going on. The danger is we can also approach our relationship with God a little bit like that. While there's things in our life, we're always developing at points. Some people just become livable in their walk with God oh, it's good enough, I've got a routine, I've got a pattern, it works. But we know there's always more in God. There's always greater in God. That God wants to take us from strength to strength, that we can, we can keep moving forward. And so the real question is, is, what direction is your relationship with God heading right now? Because it's either growing or shrinking. You're either drawing into God or you're drawing away from God. Your relationship with God doesn't actually become stagnant. At times it feels stagnant. But, but really your relationship with God is I'm leaning more into God or I'm leaning a little bit further from God. So the, the, the question is, is not just how long have you been a Christian. That doesn't really matter. The question is what's the posture of your life? Is the posture of your walk with God one that's going deeper into the things of God or, or, or the one who is becoming more stagnant and complacent with God? And we want to be a people that have a heart to keep pushing into God. Whether you've been saved for, for two days or 10 years, that 
the posture of your heart is I want to lean into more of God. I know that God's taking me from strength to strength. I don't want to just become to a point of strength because I know God has further points of strength for my life. Does that sound right? Anyone up for that? And one of these things I want to look at that that I believe we need to keep developing in our understanding of is actually I believe we need to keep developing our understanding of God's grace. That God's grace, while God's grace met me at my point of salvation, God's grace meets me every day. While grace was there to forgive my sins in the moment I acknowledged Jesus as my Lord and Savior, grace is with me each and every day to empower me to live the life that God's called me to. And I believe the more we get to develop our understanding of grace, the more we start to understand the empowering presence of God. That God didn't just save us to be sin-free. He saved us to live a full life, a life that's fully devoted to God. And I don't want to just be saved. I want to live a life that's full. That's full with God's purpose, full with God's plan. And in in Luke 7, uh, you find these these two stories in the book of Luke. There's actually a couple more, but there's two stories in particular I want to look at tonight because I've always, uh, God's quite used the the early story in Luke 7, which I'll look at in a moment, in a a few ways in my life to really speak to me. But just recently reading through Luke again, realizing there's actually two stories in Luke that that in many ways the people in these stories are are quite contrasting. There's there's one person in the story. So Luke Luke 7 opens by talking talking about a, a centurion officer, so a Roman an officer of influence who was a good man. So it talks about a man who is good. And then the, later on in Luke 7, the next story is of a sinful woman who walks into a room to anoint the feet of Jesus. And in these stories, you got in the eyes of society, you got a man of strength and good character, and you got a woman who is insignificant with, with a sinful nature. But both of these stories in Luke 7 land with Jesus acknowledging the same thing about their lives. He didn't acknowledge their position. He didn't acknowledge their social status. He, he didn't acknowledge what they had accomplished. What does he did? And, and, and early on with the first guy, and we'll get to this in a moment, but I'm giving you the end of the story and then we'll work our way back, all right? So this is like the trailer that gives away all the storyline. You ever watch one of those trailers and they put all the good bits in the trailer and you watch the movie and I'm like, oh, they put all the funny bits in the trailer. I hope this is in that situation, all right? But I'm going to, the first one with the man who is in a place of influence and good character lands on Jesus saying, nowhere else have I seen such great faith. The second one with a woman of sinful nature, Jesus lands the story saying, your faith has saved you. Both of these people, Jesus looked at them, regardless of their social status, regardless of what they accomplished in life, regardless of the family they were in, Jesus looked at them and said, man, there's something of faith in your life that he chose to identify. And I want to look at these two stories because the first one talks of the the centurion officer. This is there's a Roman officer who was over a, a hundred soldiers. And at the opening of the story is what happens is the, the, the centurion has a servant, and the servant is unwell. And in verse 2, it talks about of Luke 7, it says, He's a centurion servant whose master was, who his master highly valued, who was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the, of the Jews to ask him 
uh, to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, this man deserves to have you go and do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogues. So in terms of the eyes of the people, they look at the centurion man and say, Jesus, this guy deserves you to work on his behalf. He deserves it. He's done good deeds. He's done good works. He might not be a Jewish person, but he is a good man. In fact, if you look at it, you start to understand the fact the centurion officer cared about a dying servant even shows the character of the man because they would just burn through servants. Most of them didn't care about their servants. But you see, if on the outset, there's a man who cares about other people, who loves other people. He then goes on to send the Jewish elders to Jesus. And so it means the Jewish elders agreed that this guy was deserving of their God. And so you start to get this picture that in the eyes of the people, the way they saw it was here is a man that deserved it. Here's a man that had earned it. Here's a man that needed God's healing and needed his prayers answered because of what he had done, because of what he had accomplished. In fact, the fact he sent the Jewish elders goes to show that he even understood more about the Jewish faith than what people probably thought because he understood as a Gentile he couldn't go to Jesus. In fact, he wouldn't have favor before God, but who would have favor before God? The Jewish elders. Their, their stature. They're oh, the holy ones. They're the ones that God will listen to. They're the ones whose prayers God will answer. So if I can get them to go to Jesus, perhaps based on their goodness and their teaching of, or their, their, their telling of my goodness, then perhaps Jesus might move. And so you had a man who in the eyes of the people said, this man has done it all right. He was on day 340 of his Bible reading plan, and, it, and he hadn't missed a day at church all year. He had done it right. He was here at 5.30 packing in production. He, he had done He was doing it all. He was doing it all right. So he deserves God to move on his behalf. So you have, you have this man. And then the second story in, in uh, Luke Seven further down talks of a, a sinful woman where in verse 37, we pick the story up by saying a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. That she is a sinner. So you got two very different people. In the eyes of, of, of the Jewish culture, in the eyes of society, two very different people. You got a man who deserves you to come, Jesus, and then you got a woman. Who is this woman? What's she doing in my house? What's she doing here? She is a sinner. She does not deserve to be at the feet of Jesus. You got two completely different stories, two completely different people. But what I, what I love in both of these stories is be, Jesus, because of his grace, moves towards both of them. 
defends both of them, stands for both of them, actually answers both of them. One finds healing, one finds salvation. Why? Because he didn't move based on whether you're deserving or not deserving. He didn't move based on whether you're good or not good. He didn't move because, in, and actually in verse 6, in the answer to the plea of the Jewish elders, what does it say? It says, and Jesus went with them. But he didn't go with them because their argument was right. He didn't go with them because, because they, their speech, they got their speech really well together. And Jesus was like, you know what, that sounds like a good time. I'm going to go heal that person. No, Jesus moved because of his grace. He moved towards both of them because of his grace. And when it comes to your life and my life, Jesus doesn't move in his grace towards us because we're deserving or not deserving. He moves in his grace because that's the nature of Jesus. That's the nature of God. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God makes the first move. That God makes the first move. Sometimes, you know, often we'll say, well, when we move, God moves. But I would say, no, God moves, then we move. Actually, when it comes to our salvation, our forgiveness, our love, our life with God, God makes the first move. And He moves by grace. Whether you're seen to be of good stature or not, God's grace moves the same. Even now and again, people will come to us, because especially once people hear your pastor and they don't really understand church or the context of, of our, our faith. They say, oh, you're a pastor. Can you pray for me? Because God will answer your prayers. I'm like, yeah, I know he will, but he'll also answer your prayers too. There's not, a, there's not a statue on, oh, because you're good enough, God will answer me. No, God moves based on his grace towards us. But what changes these guys' worlds and these guys' lives is not just God's grace towards them, but their response to God's grace towards them. Because God moves in grace towards every person. What changes your world is how you respond to God's grace. God's forgiveness is on for offer for every person. Whether you walk in that is how you respond to it. You see, God's grace is towards you tonight. But whether it changes you and empowers you is determined on how you respond to God's grace. So the question is not, do you just know about God's grace? I grew up, and in, in, like I said, a Christian home. I knew about the grace of God, but it wasn't until I started responding to the grace of God that actually the grace of God changed me. And both of these guys in the story, the centurion officer and the sinful woman, have quite opposite responses. For the man in a place of strength, what happens is, Jesus decides to go with him, with, his, with the Jewish elders. And the centurion officer hears that Jesus is on his way, so he sends his friends to go to Jesus and say, hey, actually, Jesus, I don't even deserve to have you come under my house. Like Jesus, now, now you've got to understand, this is, a, this is a Roman officer of influence. The Romans at the time were oppressing, were over the, the Jewish people. So for a Roman officer to humble himself enough to ask a Jewish man for help is a, is a deeply humble position. 
a man of influence and strength is coming to someone who they're deemed to be over. And, and, and so it's, here you have a guy who's in charge of a, thousand, a hundred soldiers who would have been watching his life see this man come to a Jewish man and humble himself and say, you know what, Jesus, thank you for agreeing to come, but I don't deserve that. In fact, if you, if you just say the word, my servant would be healed because I understand authority. And when I say to this guy, go, he goes, and this one, come, he comes. Just like that, as, as your word goes forth, my servant will be, will be healed. And so you find this moment where a man of strength who deserved God, the grace of God starts moving towards him. What does he respond in? Well, humility. Well, God, I'm overwhelmed by your grace. I'm overwhelmed by the fact you you came to me. And then what his humility then enables him to see Jesus' authority. And so Jesus' grace comes towards him. He humbles himself under it. See, Jesus' grace is on for offer. Salvation's on for offer for everyone. His grace every day is on for offer for everyone. But to actually receive the grace of God, you've actually got to come to a point of humility. It takes humility to take hold of God's grace because it takes a moment where in in our pride and in our own effort and all of our self-help nature, we humble ourselves and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm not actually good enough. So I take my strength and humble it before the feet of Jesus. And as he humbles it, he acknowledges Jesus' authority and says, even in all my strength, God, you're stronger. Even all my goodness, God, you're better. Even in all I have to offer, God, you, you deserve far more than that. Even in my strength, God, you are greater. So I acknowledge your authority and I humble. And then what does he do? He acknowledges and through that position of humility, acknowledging authority, he releases a faith in his life. So, well, God, because I see your authority, I believe you can move. And so his... His response to God's grace is great grace needs great humility. But then the woman is a little bit on the other side of things. Because the room Jesus was sitting in, she didn't deserve to walk into that room. She had no right to be there. In a Pharisee's house for a sinful woman to walk through those doors while Jesus is with her in a table culturally of a group of men and go behind Jesus and start anointing his feet. That was a place she didn't deserve to go. It was a position she didn't deserve to be in. But she responds, she starts to have, after an encounter with Jesus, what happens is her response to grace is, well, I'm not deserving of it, but the grace of God empowers me to take hold of it. I don't deserve to be in that room, but because of the grace of God, I can enter that room. And the grace of Jesus empowers her to be in a space she doesn't deserve to be in, to take hold of things she doesn't have the ability to take hold of. But even in her own heart, you see the humility because when she walks into the room, she doesn't go and stand right in the seat of honor or the place in the middle. What does she do? She goes behind Jesus. And to go behind someone while they're kneeling at a table is a sign of acknowledging their authority in the Jewish culture. So she bows behind Jesus. So she walks in empowered by her grace, but at the same time, humble before her king. And go, it's only because of you that I'm here. It's by your grace I can exist here. 
is by your grace. You see, the man of strength humbles himself. Now, Jesus, I don't deserve you to have come into my house. The woman in a place of weakness says, God, by your grace, I'm going to take hold of the things I don't deserve to take hold of. That response to grace, the first story is about humility. I take my strengths and acknowledge God is stronger. I take my good deeds and realize they're nothing but dust. And then actually I need the grace of Jesus. And then Jesus comes and takes us in our point of weakness and says, come on. You can take hold of a life you don't deserve. You can take hold of a life that I've laid out for you. You can walk into spaces. You can walk out this life. You might not feel like you deserved it. You might not have done any, all the right choices. You, you might not yet gone through a Cooper's College. But I believe you can. You can take hold of life. And the response of her, to, the response for her towards grace was what? To step in to what Jesus was empowering her to take hold of. But sometimes we... We get prideful in our weakness. Or like, Kiwis, we call it humble. We just keep it humble. But actually, what does the grace of God empower you to do? Well, it actually takes you to get over yourself and go, well, God, if this is the life you've called me to, I'm going to allow your grace to empower me to take hold of it. I'm going to empower me. And I believe actually the word for some of us tonight is, the grace of God wants to empower you. That the grace of God is here to empower you. To not believe within the realms of what you deserve or what you've earned, but believe in the realms of who it is that's sending you, that God's calling you. That she, as a Jewish woman, could boldly walk into a room that she didn't deserve to be in and stand there and anoint the feet of Jesus. And when everyone else is judging her, Jesus stops in that moment and says, hey, her sin has been forgiven. She deserves to be here by the grace of Jesus. And when it comes to the grace of God, our response needs to be one of humility, but one that also empowers us to move. I'm humble under your authority, but then I'm empowered to step out on your authority, Jesus. And I'm going to allow the grace of God to work on my life. Come on, the grace of God gives me gifts. The grace of God gives me anointing. It's the grace of God that enables me to break through. And I, I believe here at Equipus Church, we're graced people. That the grace of God is with us. We're going to take on things that are too big for us to take on. We're going to believe, come on, God's going to use us in ways that we don't deserve to be used. But we got the grace of God on our side. we got the anointing of God on our side. Come on, we are graced people. We are humble before His authority, but we are empowered to step out in the life He's called us to live. I want to say, let the grace of God empower you. Let it empower you. Because it doesn't matter how strong you are, there's going to come days when you're going to need God. 